Uh, yes, friends, on a Friday, it's OGP, the one giant podcast. Or, of course, we are your hosts, Adam Armbrecht over here, Andy Makowitz over there. And it's Combine weekend, my friend, as we'll start to get a look at some of these prospects that the New York football giants could be interested in when it comes to the draft next month. But as was the theme on the last solo show, Andy, for me, talking about some of the moves that were getting made around the roster, expected ones, maybe a mild surprise on how quickly Devontae Booker was let go. But the the process continues for Joe Shane here as the offseason works. Before we get into it, though, how are you, sir? Healthy, wealthy, and wise? Well, I feel good. I was uh, I had a work trip this week. That's why I wasn't with you. I was down in Hotlanta. Um, oh. It was... Uh, yeah, I felt really good because when the Devontae Booker news dropped, it was something that I had suggested that was a more likely path is taking his $2 million off the books because they did sign Antonio Williams. So felt like a little feather in my cap. And then to celebrate, I went out, had a cocktail, and I met the rapper T.I. Down in, in, down in Atlanta. So it was a win across the board for me for the last few days. Did he have any insights around the NFL, the combine, the prospects, or was, that mostly, was it mostly just a, a pleasantry? I asked him about hand size and how important it was for quarterbacks. And he looked at me like I had 12 heads. So, uh, you know, maybe we'll just save that discussion for the OGP listeners. Have there ever, has there ever been a time when people said, boy, look at his hand on the mic. It just doesn't, I don't know if he's going to be able to hold on to that thing. Not for the entire Is he, is he in to be a top 10 podcaster with the hand size like that? It doesn't even cover the full mic. Like, can he even turn the volume up? Like, you know. (laughs) Can the thumb, that double-jointed thumb, is never going to get the job done. Listen, we will get to uh, Kenny Pickett here in a minute. But as we say, um, there is the the big picture around what's happening down the road here for the Giants and every NFL team, free agency on the 16th, obviously, and the draft next month. But uh, along with this process, the Giants cut, obviously, Kyle Rudolph cleared some money, cut Devontae Booker cleared some money. And now we're talking about Joe Shane looking to find additional cap space. And in doing so, we talk about a player that fans enjoy, but hasn't necessarily been around long enough to entrench himself into the hearts of New York football giants in Blake Martinez. But the lead, as you know, as we talked about with Candace Cooper, one of my favorites, Sterling Shepard, and his situation when it comes to obviously recovering from an injury, probably not being available for the start of the NFL season, and how Joe Shane is approaching freeing up additional cap space while at least offering a path for for Sterling to stay with the team. Yeah, so this is interesting. We've talked about how, you know, he's he's going to be the most likely cap casualty. Um I I I really appreciate what Joe Shane and Dayball are doing here because they they've opened up door number 3 where, you know, most times when you ask a player to take a pay cut, it usually means that they just want to cut you out right, but they're they're doing, you know, a courtesy by asking you that question. With Sterling Shepard, it actually is a viable option for him to potentially take a pay cut and come back to the Giants, Adam. You know, he he, he basically is counting over $12.5 million against the cap for the Giants this year. By cutting him, you know, they'll have about $4 million in dead cap-ish, um, $8.5 million salary that is not guaranteed right now. Yep. It makes sense for both parties, Adam. And the number one reason why, you know, people will say, well, why would the Giants do it? Well, they saved $4.5 million and they could reallocate that somewhere else. Why would Sterling Shepard do it? The answer is he's recovering from an Achilles injury that he just had only a couple of months ago. And Adam, there's something to be said about him having, you know, to be able to be in the building, be with the Giants trainers. They could fly him all over the place. He could be rehabbing at the facility with other players. And it doesn't sound like he's going to be ready for week one of the NFL season. So what would his market be working out on his own? And then he's ready to play week four. Like how much money would a team give him anyway? So it would be, like 
really actually strange at this point if Shepard didn't take the pay cut, considering all the things that it benefits him with. Yeah, and listen, they're talking about the offer has been at least projected, right? Because this had nothing official has come through yet, but it suggested that the Giants are saying we're going to break you down to the league minimum for a, a player at their wide receiver position with six years of NFL experience, and that's one point zero three five million dollars, right? So it's a million dollars, and obviously that can seem like if you're Sterling Shepard, geez, that, that you know. <laughs> I have been productive. I am, you know, fifth all time in receptions on the New York football giants. And yet to your point, what is the out-of-pocket cost of spending on, on rehabilitation and trying to get yourself right? And additionally, while a million dollars may not sound like a lot of money, if even if he could be healthy this offseason, which he's not going to be, he's going to be 29, 30 years old, a wide receiver with an injury history. At best, he'd probably be looking around the league and saying, where's a team that suffers some injuries in camp and maybe I can come in and get a look, but it's not even going to be, it's not going to be for a million dollars. It'll be for a a lesser flyer, non-guaranteed contract. So in the short term, I think it makes a lot of sense for Sterling Shepard. It's the the roundabout way for me to say I was right. The Giants are going to keep Sterling Shepard. We'll see how it goes. Listen, I had this funny conversation with Pizza Mike yesterday around Sterling Shepard where, and and he busted my chops, rightfully so. Because I, I can be very analytical. We, we've talked about you know Saquon Barkley and just the dollars and cents of it. Got to move on. Got to get the money, et cetera. But I've said all, all offseason, Sterling Shepard, I'd really like him to get an opportunity. And it, it is because I think I, I realize that I develop a sentimentality around a player that gets onto a second contract with the team. Because now Sterling Shepard is in this window of, well, say you keep him around and he takes the reduction in salary. All of a sudden, maybe he does get healthy. And after this upcoming season, you bring him back on a two-year, $6 million contract. And that could be the end of his career. He could end up finishing as a New York football giant, right, and not play anywhere else. And I do like that idea. Now, maybe he plays well enough and there's an opportunity out there on the market and, and all the better for him. But, but I have noticed there is a, a, a point, a threshold that I cross through and I go, Oh, well, now I really do like this guy. Now I'd like to see him, you know, once a giant, always a giant. And Sterling Shepard has fallen into that category for me, understanding that it is one of those things at his age and at the position and with the injury history, I should be willing and able to move on from him. And yet there's a soft spot. I know you, 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 you like work this little avenue. You try to thread the needle where you're like, I don't want these guys to get second contracts, but once they get a second contract, let's keep them here till they're 35 and they can ride off in the sunset. Exactly. Uh, but, but what? But all, all the other thing about this this Shepard situation, obviously with the restructure, they would take the final year of his deal because he's still got a two-year deal left with yes. the Giants. They would take that off the table. Gives an opportunity to get back out on the market, so it's kind of a win-win for both sides. Yeah. Um, Blake, the Blake Martinez contract is actually really fascinating to me because he's scheduled to, to be a cap hit of almost $14 million for the Giants. By just outright releasing him, it would be a $5.5 million cap hit. So the Giants are saying, hey, you suffered a pretty big, gruesome injury as well like he's still rehabbing they don't know if he's going to be ready I actually think this makes sense for Blake Martinez as well for two reasons one is that he doesn't know if he's going to be ready for camp but the second thing is he's on the last year of his deal right like how much is he going to get on the open market right now coming off of a knee injury when he can stay with the Giants rehab and do the same thing that showing Shepard's doing to me it's it's fascinating to that that we didn't really think that taking a pay cut was an option, but it makes sense for two guys that had really bad leg injuries. Yeah. It'd be interesting too. Cause Blake Martinez, that injury was suffered a little bit 
a little bit earlier, I think, than than Sterling Shepard. So oh, his yeah. recovery timeline could be a little bit sooner. And he's obviously a handful of uh, of years longer as well. So it's interesting to speculate on how do the Giants look at him because Sterling Shepard, for whatever condition he's going to be in, to, be in, he'd be viable. If he could be healthy by week four, the Giants would use him this upcoming season in the offense, right? He can serve a function and help, as we'll get into later, what they look to do at the position in free agency and in the draft. For Blake Martinez, I think even if he is healthy, he doesn't fit the mold for Wink Martindale's system. So that's the other factor to me. And I, and I do wonder... Unlike Sterling Shepard, who maybe is in a more difficult spot with the type of injury and the timeline for his return, if Blake says, if I think that I can be back on the field and playing in the next month, you know, or in and around or just after the draft, say, almost a couple months away, if I can be back out there playing, then maybe I would take my chances of being able to catch on with another team and would prefer that I just get outright cut rather than take the pay, you know, the pay reduction because if I take the pay reduction, what's my best case scenario? Maybe the Giants end up trading me and I'm at an incredibly low value and I get a I try to restructure my contract on the new team. Like he's an interesting one. I think Shepard is closer to just being like this makes total sense. Whereas Blake Martinez is probably 75, 80%. And it'll be interesting to see what he chooses to do. Well, t- so two last notes. One right. one positive about the new regime, one negative about the old regime. Uh huh. we'll start really? with the negative. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. Weird, weird how that works, right? But <laughs> negative trend. Both Sterling Shepard and Blake Martinez were both restructured in 2021 to push salary cap and kick the can down the road. Like, let's not forget, yes, they suffered injuries, and it's tough to know when someone's, you know, going to be injury prone, um, like Sterling Shepard. Like, who would ever see that coming? But yes, the dead money and the dead cap that we're stuck with is because they restructured one of them in May and one of them in September. So go figure that. The other piece of this, Adam, is something that you and I have talked about at nauseum that gets lost in all this. When you cut players, and you save money against the cap, you still need to use that money to replace the player that you are cutting, right? It's not just like free savings. Oh, we're good to go. If you <laughs> don't have, if you don't have Blake Martinez or you don't have Sterling Shepard on the roster, you have to go out and get another wide receiver. You have to right. go out and get another linebacker. So you have the Giants are asking themselves the question: Can we get a better receiver for what we want to do for a million bucks in free agency than Sterling Shepard? He oh, knows our. He know he knows the front office. He knows the system. He's a hard worker. He's a great locker room guy. Can we get someone like that that can make this impact for one million dollars? The answer to that is no, right? Like you just can't. Like John Ross made more than that last year, right? So think about like the level you're talking about. And with Blake Martinez, if he restructures to two, three, four million, you know, like for a salary, are you going to be get able to get a starting caliber middle linebacker for three million dollars? Like those are the things that I think everyone forgets. It's like yeah, we want to cut these guys then what are you going to put in behind them? Yeah, I know 100%. That's that's the key here. It's If you can reduce the salary, let's see what happens in free agency, see what happens in the draft. And then, by the way, if Sterling Shepard, say they're both healthy, if Sterling Shepard gets overtaken by a free agent or by a draft pick, it's okay. He's making a million dollars. If Blake Martinez is a glorified backup at $3 million, it's okay. It's not nearly as detrimental if you're going, $14 million, you say. For a guy that's that's playing 23% of the reps, that one's going to sting a little bit more. So I think you're 100% right on that, and we'll see how those play out. I want to circle back to um, an additional thought coming out of this combine weekend when it comes to the wide receiver position and as far as how the Giants can look to go forward, free agency as well. But first, because the combine did kick off yesterday, officially getting some position groups out there after some of the measurements and that kind of uh, jazz goes through, it is important to note 
for two reasons. First and foremost, being at the top of the draft with the Giants, obviously we know have the fifth and seventh overall pick. The quarterbacks got out there. You got Malik Willis, you have Kenny Pickett, you have Desmond Ritter as well amongst the class of, of, of quarterbacks that have been regarded in a lot of ways as a weaker crop coming out than in years past. Maybe one of the weakest classes to come out at the position in the last handful of seasons. And yet, some of these guys really showed up in some of these drills to indicate, hey, as often happens in the NFL, maybe they can move up the board a little bit here. And I'm just going to kick it off at the, right at the top at the guy that seems to be the most attractive, the most intriguing, played at the small school, obviously, in Liberty. And that's Malik Willis, who went out there on the field and showcased not only his arm strength, which people knew, but also deep ball accuracy, which seemed to be one of those areas that, that, that they were speculating on. How, how impressed are you, or more importantly, excited are you, that the New York football Giants could be sitting in the top 10 here and seeing quarterbacks start to rise up the board over the next month and a half? Really excited to see these guys start showing up and showing out. I mean, everyone's like, oh, what a terrible time to pick in the top five when you don't have like a franchise cornerstone quarterback in, in the draft. But as we know, like these guys are in gym shorts and a t-shirt. And all of a sudden, they start launching footballs or they jump high or they run really fast and everyone gets wowed and the excitement starts to build. And these quarterbacks continue yeah. to move up and up the draft boards. So you may not have Kenny Pickett as a first-round pick normally, but hey, we saw him launching balls down the corridor of the hotel hallway. <laughs> that That is dedication. He, that is a first-round pick. You see Malik Willis. Wow. He is stopping outside the combine to help a homeless person on the side of the road. Like that is the type of character you want in your top five quarterback pick. Like all these things are happening at the combine that are just like slowly elevating these guys that almost have nothing to do with actual gameplay, but it benefits the giants for having two picks in the top 10. Malik Willis 32 on the Wonderlick test. They said that this guy is a fountain of knowledge and football information, that he is someone that by all accounts coming out of a small school is going to be able to digest and absorb a system that he's going to be brought into here, which certainly moves the needle as well. And sometimes the, is the question you ask when you're you're talking about someone who's played against lower competition, can he elevate? Well, some of the intangibles are going to be important, including the things off the field. Like none of these guys, at least at the top here, have any character flaws, which always elevates them in the draft as well. Interestingly enough, too. So coming into this, you're talking about Malik Willis just on, on ESPN's big board. He's as the 20th overall pick, and there's been talk about the Steelers looking to, to possibly make a move for him. Pickett's listed 21st. Then you get into Matt Coral at 25 and down the line to Howell, Ritter, and Strong. And those three quarterbacks were considered to be 41st, 43rd for Ritter, excuse me, and then Carson Strong all the way down at 73. And the reason why I bring it up is, so there's two, there's two things I want to talk about here. First of all, that both of those quarterbacks in Pickett and in Willis are going to be in play in and around the top 15 and into the top 10. And if there's enough teams that are interested, depending on what goes on, some other factors just to throw in here, the Atlanta Falcons could be in play to be trading Matt Ryan, depending on how other veteran QB situations play out. He's been kind of like this forgotten name inside of this. Atlanta is a team closer to rebuilding than to going for it. And, and Matt Ryan still has value and can still be, you know, that high second tier behind the Aaron Rodgers sweepstakes. He's probably, would you rather have Matt Ryan than Jimmy Garoppolo? I sure would, right? So there, there's going to be an opportunity there where a team at the top of the draft is looking at quarterback. We know Carolina could be, and then anybody that wants to come up in the draft like the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's the first factor. All this surge is coming here, and the Giants could have an opportunity to look at it. The other piece then, though, is what the Giants could do specifically at the quarterback position because, Andy, 
we all, we speculated and everyone has been what a great fit Mitch Trubisky would be for the New York football giants as a backup quarterback to push Daniel Jones and be a viable option inside of the Buffalo system that Dable is going to bring over here. And yet you're hearing that it's going to be a little bit more difficult to secure those services unless the giants are looking to dig deep into their pockets. Yeah. So the, the results from the combine is like, everyone is giving Mitch Trubisky his flowers. Like he, he played almost no snaps for the Buffalo bills, but they're like, he's a character guy. The best thing for his game was not throwing a pass. Was his the best thing for his game was to sit behind Josh Allen, who looks amazing, and be like, oh, he's only not playing because he's got a top two hey, quarterback Allen. in front of him. I'm like, oh, how unlucky for Mitch. Like he didn't pick that spot to go to. But you know, Mitch Trubisky started 50 games in the NFL. He has a winning record. His stats look better than Daniel Jones's stats. Like he he is a capable quarterback. And because of that, the, the buzz of the combine is he's going to have multiple suitors to be the starting quarterback in the NFL. You know, first team that comes to mind is the new Orleans saints. If they could figure Mm -hmm. out their cap situation and be able to get him in there. Someone like the Carolina Panthers, also the the Washington commanders come to mind as like teams that would almost instantly hand him over the keys and say, you are our starting quarterback. So the the Saints is a really good one. Just sorry, quickly, because um, you think about Taysom Hill and the way they use him as a running quarterback, you go now, if only Taysom Hill could be a little bit better passer, Mitch, Mitch Trubisky can be a little bit better passer, right? Right, right. He And he has the mobility that you just mentioned before. So he's got the mobility and he he's a little bit of a better passer than, than Taysom Hill. I think it's probably an understatement. But yeah, he's going to have this interest from multiple teams that will let him start. The only way that he comes to the Giants to potentially win a starting job and for maybe less money is if he really loves Joe Shane and Brian Dayball and he feels like they are the reason for his reclamation over the last you know, 14, 16 months. And I think, excuse me, maybe the other little factor in if he if he were to choose the Giants would be, are any of these landing spots going to be, to your point, it's like, what's the number? I think we listed like three to seven was the range for him, but now maybe it gets closer to 10 because teams are looking to bring him in as the starter. But is he being brought into New Orleans as the starter on a three-year, on a four-year deal, or is it on a two-year deal? Are they saying you're our stopgap guy and we're immediately going to go and draft a young quarterback? Is the Giants opportunity one where they're saying, hey, listen, if you beat out Daniel Jones, then you're going to be our quarterback for the next five years, right? What is the opportunity that's presented there? Have to be a handshake agreement as far as getting him a better contract. But to your point, it sounds like the, the Giants are much further away now from bringing in Trubisky than they were a week ago. And that's okay, because by the way, I'm not going to get brokenhearted about not having him because then it does lead to my alternative option for the New York football Giants coming up. Yeah, well, I, I think you're right. The Giants are probably going to have to look elsewhere from Mitch Trubisky. You know, there's names like Marcus Mariota and Teddy Bridgewater and, and Tyrod Taylor that we've spoken about before that w- would kind of definitely be those bridge gaps uh, f- for for Daniel Jones, depending on what, what happens. I want to go back to the three quarterbacks you have listed, uh, you know, Willis, Pickett, and Ritter. The one thing about Malik Willis that I find fascinating is everyone's like, oh, you know, small school, Liberty, like what would he do against real competition? You know, he started his career as a top recruit at Auburn. He yep. went into the spring game under Gus Malzahn and lit it up. And he kind of, you know, he he's admitted this in the past. He's like, I was immature. I thought that meant I was the man. I was the guy. And I got a rude awakening. They were like, you got to wait your turn, buddy. And he's like, I got to get out of here. I got to go somewhere where I can play and develop. And so that's why he ended up going to Liberty. And it seems like he's progressed every single year since 2019. Sure. One of the reasons why people are liking him because they're seeing – Every year, like this untapped potential becomes realized. So I, I, I don't necessarily 
subscribe to the idea that the Giants should be drafting a quarterback in the top 10 because I think there's so many other holes and I want to see what we have in Daniel Jones. But I'm warming up to the idea that if someone like Malik Willis is in the back end of the first round or gets into the second round, maybe that's an opportunity for us to take a look at him. Well, Malik Willis is not going to get into the back end of the the first round or in the second round, but Desmond Ritter could. Desmond Ritter's listed at 43. I think his stock is going to rise, and I think that if you're at the back end of the first round, he could be a viable option for a team. Now, obviously, most of those teams, when we talk about the Cincinnati Bengals and the Rams and the Chiefs, right, these aren't teams that are in the market for a QB to any level, but it would be an opportunity potentially, and this is I just want to throw out there. We talked about it previously where you pointed out if you're going to be in the market for a quarterback, then you might as well get into the back end of the first round where you get the fifth-year option and you have more control. If Desmond Ritter at his pro day continues to show you positive things, listen, the the knocks on him or whether or not he has the deep, deep ball arm strength potentially, but he's kind of considered to be this guy that if you bring him in, you want to give him that full year to develop and learn a system, but he has, he has every little box checked. Everything is at least a seven. It's not, you don't have a couple of tens and then maybe a couple of low points. It's, Hey, what a beautiful baseline with a couple of peaks inside of it. He performed really well at the combine. I'm not saying that it's the first thing that I would choose to do in the draft, but if the New York football giants can't go find the viable backup that can push Daniel Jones for the starting job, this would be an indication that obviously the writing's on the wall for Jones in the long term. But but you could you could tell me that they move up from 36 into the back end of the first round and they draft Desmond Ritter and they believe that he's a system quarterback that they can develop. And worst case scenario, maybe they can turn around and look to flip him in, in the years to come. Maybe Daniel Jones is going to move on after this season and you have the guy that you believe in. I, I know that they talk very highly about Daniel Jones and what he's po- capable of doing, but you have to remember a couple of things that we've talked about before timeline for where you are in the rebuild of this team and whether or not Daniel Jones is a Josh Allen light, which is a really big comparison to be making, or if he's just a guy that happens to be mobile and is kind of fast and can throw a good, you know, throw a decent deep ball that doesn't make him the automatic, right? Just because you check some boxes inside of the system doesn't mean that he's automatically the perfect guy for that. Also, just because he has comparables to Josh Allen doesn't mean that's the only quarterback that Brian Dable looks at and says, I can build and work with a quarterback like this, right? Like we're, we're all pigeonholing this, this, this form into have a Josh Allen. That's what they did in Buffalo. That must be what they'll do here. It kind of be, feels like it'd be disrespectful to say Dable can only function if he has a Josh Allen type quarterback, right? Right. Well, uh, the way that the Giants should be looking at this is very simple. I I like the idea of of Ritter late, you know, for early second, maybe you have to go up and get him. If that's what Joe Shane and Dayball want, I will say, I I will say this and and we'll go in deeper into the, into the quarterback situation beforehand. I think Malik Willis gives you tremendous upside, like not like maybe Lamar Jackson type upside. He's he seems a little bit stronger than Lamar Jackson is. I think Desmond Ritter has that size and, I saw him throw into some crazy windows in in college. I feel like if I were to ask you, can you tell me, Adam, with absolute certainty that you think Kenny Pickett will be better than Baker Mayfield, will be better than Mitch Trubisky, will be better than Kirk Cousins? Like, can you tell me? Because if if you're saying, like, that's kind of where you see him, like, are you wasting a first-round pick on him? At least with Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter, you're like, the upside is like, Lamar Jackson, the upside is like big arm talent that you could see. Like, don't give me the guy that kind of bottomed. Like, is he is he better than Blink Gabbert or Blake, Blake Bortles? Like, I have no idea on Kenny Pickett. Well, that's the funny thing about like, it's like, oh, he has a very high floor. You're like, okay. But 
you know, what, what is that's your point? Like, what is that at the NFL level? Is it solid court starting quarterback? You know, Kirk Cousins is a great comp. Like, I know everyone knocks him. He's put together a good career. But is he a guy that you look at and go, and he's taking us all the way? No, like you tend to end up saying, right, he's a guy that good, not great can get you close, but not all the way there. And that's an interesting dynamic versus the potential of let's, let's move on to, I want to get circle back to these wide receivers and the conversation around Sterling Shepard, what the giants can do, but on this, no, no feet to the fire, but should, would you as the giants GM based off of combine, based off of pro day, based off of everything between now and draft day, would you fall in love with Malik Willis and draft him for the New York, New York football giants and say, he's the future of the franchise. He's going to be our quarterback. No, I wouldn't just because I, I don't think quarterback is our biggest problem. That might be the hill that I end up dying on with Daniel, with Daniel Jones when he's not here next year. But for me, there's so many other positions that we need to get better at. Well, okay. But let's just, let's just quantify that. Are you saying that, uh, that you believe in Daniel Jones, that's why you wouldn't take a quarterback, or that you don't believe that Malik Willis can be a Lamar Jackson in the NFL. Because if you do, if you believe he can be a Lamar Jackson, then you have to be willing to take him, don't you? Because otherwise you're saying, I'd rather keep a Kirk Cousin type guy in Daniel Jones than go get him, right? Isn't it? It's almost that path. Well, it, it's it's tough. I, I see what you're saying. But he, it, for me, I'll flip it on its head and say, Kyle Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame, is yeah. tremendous. I do not want him with the fifth or seventh pick because oh, we have Xavier McKinney. This is so interesting because, um, okay, we'll, we're going to pause on this conversation. We'll circle back to the QB1. There's going to be plenty of time to talk about that. And right. then the top of the draft piece because I, I, I've i been having some – I've been thinking some things. Mm. I've, been, I've been comparing to previous regimes and wondering about positional value, et cetera, that we'll have to get back into at the top of the draft and around a player like Kyle Hamilton. So uh, take that tease, pick, put, put it in your pocket. We will not forget to get back to it, because I think it's going to make for another one of those, I don't know, maybe I'll get uh, Andy a little bit riled up here potentially coming up. This, this is a really deep wide receiver class. There were some people that were talking about Steve Smith was on the NFL Network talking about how he had mentioned a player like Cooper Cup when he was coming out that ran an average 40 time, but had all of the, the route combinations, all the crispness, right? All the connection that you want to see with a quarterback as you project him to the NFL and how there's just so many guys and it ends up being a very deep class when you walk through it. I'd mentioned previously a guy like Khalil Shakir. He was out there. I don't know if I was blown away by anything that I saw from him. Sky Moore, certainly out of Western Michigan, showcased himself very well. But I almost wanted to bring up a couple of guys here because the first question to, to real quick to you is, do you see the Giants really pushing hard to take a to take a, a wide receiver early? If the scenario plays out where they trade down out of one of those top 10 picks and they find themselves in the back end of the first round, would they double down and add another piece along uh, with Kadarius Tony? Or do you see it as you know, second round and beyond? It can be anywhere there. But you meant, as you mentioned, a lot of needs on this team. It'd be, you'd be hard pressed knowing that Kenny Galladay is still going to be on this roster this season. Kadarius Tony is there. You know, we have tight end needs too, but how high does your need value rise on the position of wide receiver? It's actually pretty low. And I might be in the minority on this because listen, I get it. Sterling Shepard may not, may or may not even come back. Darius Slayton, they're talking about him being a potential cut casualty. Then all of a sudden you've got Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Tony as literally your only two wide receivers on the roster right now. Yep. It starts to get thin very quickly at that point. However, even with it being as thin as that piece of it, 
I think there's just other places that the Giants need to invest in the first three rounds. If you're telling me you want to develop a couple of different players and, and take them in the third or fourth, maybe you know, fifth round, I'm totally okay with that. First two rounds, probably even the third round, there's just other areas that I would end up tackling. But I, I have a feeling that you feel a little differently about it. No, well, honestly, so the, the first guy that obviously was already well-regarded coming in, and, and that is, uh, that's that's Traylon Burks, who came out of Arkansas. He looks phenomenal. They're comparing him to players like Debo Samuel for the 49ers, so obviously, like, that's the new comp, right? Give me the guy that can take the ball in his hands, big body, use it like a running back. He, he's not a wide out. He's a wide back, as, as he self-proclaimed to be. He's obviously very exciting, but a player that's going to be far closer to the top of the draft than not, mid-first round, something like that along those lines. So if you're not going to be in those waters, though, this is where I say, again, when a position is deep in the draft, when cornerback is deep in the draft, I like to look a little bit further down the line. And a guy that I'm going to start to dive in deep on, I thought he looked every bit of the part in the combine, in all of the drills, didn't show you anything to turn away from him, only ran a 4 6 5 40, so he's not going to be a burner. But that was uh, Dontario Drummond out of Mississippi. I he is 6'1, 215. He has the beautiful Jared Allen style fro that he was rocking all combine long, but he showed me all of the athleticism. And, and as far as a prospect goes, they talk about him as being like he does everything, he has all of the again. It's almost like talking about you know, let's say Desmond Ritter, right? Where you go, he's showing all of these marks here, nothing's flashing all the way as the best, best in any one category, and yet this is a guy that I think about. In the mid rounds, he's listed at 240 something on the draft board. So this is talking about a second, second or third day pick. Potentially, I think he's going to move up the board, probably be a top 100, maybe at 182 for the Giants could be a spot to think about him. I think that this is a guy that walks in the door and you go, oh, he does everything well. And he can also be a special team player. So you know, he projects to say start as special teams and develop into a contributor on, on the offensive side of the football early on in his career, by the way, I think he'd be a dynamic playmaker. They used a lot of gadget plays to get it into his hands. A lot of short route combinations. He's going to develop his deep route ability as he gets to the NFL. But I just think he'd be an interesting dynamic playmaker to throw into the mix here that you're not going to spend pick 36 on or pick, you know, 19 after a trade down. This is a guy you can get in the fourth or fifth round. And I think could be one of those steals. Not unlike, by the way, not the same type of player, but the way the Giants went out and got Darius Seaton, and you'd say he outperformed his draft stock, right? You can get this kid in the fourth round and be talking about him as being a, a mid-third round value early on in his career. Yeah, I like that. I mean, that's the type of avenue that I would be completely okay with. Fifth round pick. I mean, I was very interested in, in Josh Palmer last year in the, in the fifth yeah. round. And he, and, starts he looking, and, and he starts looking like th- he's actually the reason why they're letting Mike Williams go for the Los Angeles Chargers because they're like, we have a suitable backup that we drafted in the third or fourth round that we feel com- confident in. That's what the Giants can can think about it with the wide receiver and, position. And, and by the way, at a lower level, this is like saying maybe Darius Slayton is still on the roster and going into next year, you're letting Darius Slayton go because you've drafted in a replacement inside of your regime, right? Like, I think that that has to be a viable option for the Giants. Yes, 100%. And I think that's kind of my avenue. I, I actually wouldn't mind that as much in, in the later rounds. People are talking about, you know, and this will be a whole nother episode. This will be when we talk about the offensive linemen as well. But the tight end position Everyone's saying, oh, we should look in the third round to, to scoop up a tight end. Adam, there are so many good tight end free agents that you might be able to get on the cheap that are veterans that I think like is a way better path for the Giants. Like, I'll just give you one prime example. OJ Howard of the, of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. 
around the same class as Evan Ingram, his, his projected salary is $2.2 million. Like if you're telling me we can get a starting caliber tight end for $2.2 million and put a third round pick towards a position like edge rusher or mm-hmm. guard or offensive inside lineman, linebacker. Like, yeah. yeah in, inside linebacker, much better reallocation and distribution of assets for the giants. I like looking in potentially free agency for a low buy option for a receiving tight end. And then that way you can look in the sixth round and say, Give me, give me a pure blocker, right? Give me a guy that's going to be right. able to be on the line, be a part of our blocking scheme, and then we can develop what he can do as a pass asset as you move forward. That's usually how the tight end position works as you go through the draft. So 100%, at the end of the day, man, I'm just going to tell you right now, last year's draft class, I got attached to a wide receiver that I thought was a very viable option for the New York football Giants, and that was Amon Ross St. Brown. He went in the fourth round, 112 overall to the Detroit Lions. Go look at his stats. He was absolutely electric. He's not going to be your, you awesome. know, your number one but had a hell of a rookie season. And that was production and value in the middle rounds back into the middle rounds there for the New York football giants. I'm not fully there yet on Drummond, but, but he's starting to become that prospect for me that I think is just going to be kind of this guy that people talk about. And by the way, I'm in Rob St. Brown. They're two very different you know, types of receivers, but he was talked about the same way. Does everything really good? Nothing really great. Can be shifty in space. Ah, you know, you have to wait and see. He goes to Detroit, a rebuilding team with Jared Goff. Not a good quarterback, you know, and still produced at the level that he did in his rookie campaign. I think, yeah, that's what you have to look at with a lot of these young prospects in the middle rounds. And Drummond is going to be my name to watch. We will be back in potentially over the weekend here because the combine's going on. They're going to be kicking off with the offensive line today. I know you're thinking, guys, you're an offensive line based podcast. Where is the chatter on these guys? Don't worry. Because Evan Neal is doing some things physically that are absolutely blowing people's minds. And we'll talk about the top of the draft, what opportunities are going to be possible there at five, potentially at seven. And then some of these other prospects, because there is a very big gap after you get through the top two, maybe top three. If you throw in cross, you throw in Linderbaum. There's a bit of a gap here before you get into other offensive linemen in the draft. How many of them can rise to the point where the Giants would consider them in the first round, whether inside the top 10 or in a trade back scenario. You head over, my friends, to the YouTube channel. And you subscribe because we're pumping out the content over there. You get the podcast wherever those needs get fulfilled. We continue to appreciate the support. We want to continue to put out just all kinds of epic content. You know that that mock draft is coming here, friends. It's painful. It hurts me to not have done these already. But I will get into them. And in the meantime, as Andy Mackowitz would want, need, and nay, demand that people know. As always, let's go Big Blue. 